0: Father, we, we do come to you right now. And God, we're grateful that, that you would buy forgiveness, that, that you bought forgiveness with for us with the precious blood of Jesus. And God, I pray that our hearts would love singing that truth and experiencing the truth of what type of forgiveness you actually give us, what type of relationship. So God, I I pray for us right now as we continue worshiping by going into the word. God, we ask that you would work in our midst. And I, I I'm, I'm asking that you would do a work in the hearts of every man, woman, and child that's sitting in this room. God, we want everyone that's here to have an encounter with you through your word. So God, would you give us ears to hear? Would you work on our hearts so they'd be tender? I'm asking your spirit would move individually among us in the exact way that each one of us need today. God, I, even as I pray that, I know that uh, i just reminded of my weakness and my frailty, uh, my inability to make that happen. God, I'm glad I can't make it happen. I, that, that's why we look to you. So God, I'm not just asking for you to help all of us listen, God. I'm asking you to help me teach. I'm, I'm asking, that God, would you fill me with your spirit and would, would you take my weak, fumbling mouth and use it in a way that would be used by your spirit to work in the hearts of the people in this room, including mine? God, we're asking you to work. So I'm just saying that we need you and we want you. And God, we believe that you want us to know you. So we pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You may be seated. All right, everyone. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy week. We're going to be hopping back in Philippians chapter four. Let me just, uh, say a couple things as you're getting ready for the serve for the time of the word to start. Uh, guests, if you are visiting, I would love to get a chance to meet you after the service. I'll be down front just to get a chance to say, Hey, and, um, find out who's visiting today, just so I can meet you. The other thing is this, uh, you heard Laura talking about Wednesday nights we've been canvassing. Um, we've been going through all of the making community and then the the Tallahassee Housing Authority and Pinewood Place right down the road over here. Um, and it's it's been really phenomenal. The question that we've been asking is saying, God, how, how can we serve our neighbors and represent your church and your gospel to the people who are here? So we just simply have been knocking on doors. We're not doing the evangelism question, the two questions, if you know where you're dying, where you're going if you die today. We're not doing that. We're doing simply, hey, we should have been here a long time ago, and we just want to know how we can serve you to make this neighborhood better, what, what needs are here, what can we do, who's doing something about that so we can join them. And uh, one of the things that popped up, that popped up over and over again in the, in the Macon community is we just want to get together with our neighbors at some point. We don't have any neighborhood get together. So that need turned into fall festival for this Halloween. Um, so this October 31st, that's this coming up Saturday, we're doing a fall festival on the football field with social distance. And we God gave us this field where we can spread out a ton of people way more than six feet apart with masks, give them free candy games to play. Uh, if you're not doing that in your neighborhood and you want to serve us and we still need people serving, running the games, we're going to give you everything you need. Mask, gloves, hand sanitizer, stuff to spray for you to run that game for those kids and give them tons of candy. And we, I think we still need candy. Remember I said, we want to hand out candy like Jesus hands out grace. That's our game plan. We want the kids to feel like it's unlimited. Um, and I need more candy for that. I just got to be real honest with you. Uh, and the deal is if you don't give candy, we're just going to go buy more. So, but I would like for you to participate in that. So bring the candy. Uh, so yeah, we still need people to help run games with cleanup and lots and lots and lots of candy. Okay. So that's, that's, that's my little sales pitch. So, uh, if that doesn't get you, I got nothing. Uh, and the, the other thing you guys, I'm really excited about what we're finding in Pinewood place over here. There are, there are tons of needs that, that the church of Jesus should be stepping up and helping me. I mean, like we're, we want to do things with our neighborhood. We want to do things all around the world. And we want to do both of those at the same time. And, and those are our neighbors. So we've got to figure out a way to serve them. We've, we're still discovering possibilities here, but there's a lot of them that I'm really, really excited about. So we'll see what God does in the coming weeks. Okay. Philippians chapter four. Um, we've been in Philippians for 36 different Sundays. I don't know if that wears y'all out or if you're like, man, and here's the deal. We are almost done. We are almost done with Philippians. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and here's one of the reasons why I like going through a book of the Bible. Well, we go through a book of the Bible for a couple reasons. Number one, it protects you from me and my little personal hobby horses. Right. Like if I had whatever my personal hobby horses are that I would be blind to, you would hear the same thing from me over and over and over again. Anything that someone did that ticked me off just might happen to work its way into a sermon. Right. And that's that's not healthy for us. The job of the church is not to hear what the pastor thinks about everything. That's not my job to give you all of my thoughts, everything. My job is to equip you to hear from God for yourself. And so I don't want to get trapped into only sharing my thoughts and my favorite things. The other thing is it forces us to talk about things that I would not normally want to talk about. The things that I'd be uncomfortable with, the things that I'm weak on. And today is one of those passages that makes me uncomfortable. And um, I don't—I I thought a lot about why it makes me uncomfortable. And let me tell you what we're talking about before you're like, man, what are we talking like? How bad is this going to get? Like, uh, this passage talks about money and giving, all right? And you're like, man, a pastor, that's uncomfortable talking about money and giving. I don't know if I quite understand that. Listen, I, I get really nervous talking about money and giving in the church. And I have a lot of reasons for that. Like, Let me just tell you, one of the reasons I feel nervous about talking about money is I have unsafe friends that hate the church. And when I talk to them about why they, I mean, they don't like God either, But one of the reasons why they will not engage with the church, with the people of God, almost all of them shared stories about conversations about money in the church. It gets like that. You know what I'm saying? Like that they show up to church and I've got story after story from them where they would say things like, like I've tried to go to a church and on my second week there, I got approached by the building committee that said, listen, we're doing a new building. And if you want to be a part, you need to give money. And like that was the, the first concern that the church had for people that were in their doors was how much money can you give to help us have a better building? I I wonder why he doesn't want anything to do with the church. I don't want anything to do with that church, right? Do, do y'all want to be a part of that church? Do, do you want the first, the biggest concern that we have for one another is can you give me more money? Uh, so I, I got issues. I, I also had conversations with a medical doctor who was working in a, a rural community, and as he was working with his, his patients, he was dealing with patients who were, um, they weren't eating well, they were malnourished, they had tons and tons of needs and they're coming into his office all the time. Like he was not in a very rich community. He was in a needy community. And then he would go to church on Sunday. And, and that church is gathering more and more money. And they're actually spending ch- church money on like fancy diamond rings for the pastor's wife. And like, he couldn't take it and he shouldn't have, but he left the church forever. Because of not how they talked about money, how they spent the money. And I got to be honest with you. I don't want to be at that church either. I don't want to be at a church that's spending God's money to push the agenda or to make certain people rich and comfortable. That's not why the church exists. And on top of that, you've got all those crooked televangelists. You've seen those dudes, right? Like, listen, if you would just do a faith seat of 100 $100, and we will pray for you and God will give you your healing. You've seen that little, that little sales pitch. And if you haven't seen it, just whatever you do, don't send those wolves a hundred bucks. Don't send them a cent. Like they are robbing people blind and they're targeting the weak and the vulnerable and they just want your money. They, they give all these lies about how God will prosper you more and more and more if you will just give a little bit. Listen, I, I'm out for that. And as I talk about money, there's a, Ton of baggage and horrible experience that many of us in this room might have, so I feel like I could walk through a, a minefield of that and on top of that, those are like the crazy outliers of church maybe, uh, but it's it's not the outliers of church. it's the normal churches that we would consider good. that the way we talk about money is this this issue of uh, it's it's a guilt driven Duty and obligation, motivation thing that we do to you, right? We we take this level and we say, here's what you need. Because I think the church has gotten off on this. We tell you, here's, here's what God expects of you. He expects a percentage. And we take God's real standard and we put that standard way down over here where you don't need Jesus to help you do it. So we say, you know what you need? You need to go to Old Testament law. You do 10% and God will be happy with you and so will I. And then when you don't do 10%, like there's like this guilt thing that comes your way, right? Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand of how many of you experienced that. I'm not looking to do that. And then it turns into this horrible and awful thing that, that it's not just the pastors use it in a weird way. Now the church members start to use it in a weird way that they will leverage what they give to the church as a power play when the church doesn't do what they like. You don't sing my songs? Do you know how much I give? You don't want to do it this way? Do you know how much I give? Well, what do you mean I shouldn't do this to my family and tell me that's sin? You can't talk to me like that. I'm a good follower of Jesus because I give my money to the church every week. Listen, that's just awful. The pastor's playing to that game. Pastors playing the game too at churches. I hope this isn't too much insider information for you, but pastors turn into CEO and marketers where my job is to learn how to work the room and find the people who have more money and treat them in a special way. I would remind you of James chapter two as I say that, but we find the rich people and we find out how to work them, the people with influence and power. Why? Because your influence and money will help me accomplish my dream and my agenda. It helps the balance sheet for the church. The bottom line, pastors are more concerned about bank accounts and building buildings than they are about what God really says about giving. So why am I nervous about talking about money? Because none of that is new news to any of you in this room if you've been in church. So when I wade into a conversation about giving and generosity and money, I wade in knowing that I'm walking into a minefield for every single one of us of things that we've experienced and heard and maybe even done in the church. I want to walk very carefully so I don't explode something in your heart that causes harm. And at the same time, I want to help give us clarity about what God actually says About giving. So when I think about how the church talks about money, I get totally nervous. But when I read the passage that I'm reading today about money, I'm not nervous about that. I actually love how the Bible talks about money. I hate the way the church talks about it, but I love how Jesus talks about it. When Jesus talks about it, yeah, it convicts me, but I love it. It makes my heart burn. I want to talk like that with us about giving and money. I I want those concerns and those cares and The mistake that I've made, if I'm just really honest, is I've shut down the talks about money and I've avoided it because of the baggage that I have with my bad experiences at church. And this passage convicted me of that this week. So let me read the passage we'll be looking at today. Philippians chapter four, verses 14 through 20. He says this, and we really are getting close to the end, isn't it? Uh, Y'all excited, like, yes, we're almost done. Verse 14, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when it first got there, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again, needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, not that I seek the gift, But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, if we talked about money like that, I would not be as hesitant. I, I love what Paul says here. And let me give you a little background of what's happening. You, you saw it mentioned there in verse 18. He says, I received payment in full. We've been over this before, but Paul is probably sitting in a Roman prison cell. He's in jail somewhere, but probably in Rome. And as he's sitting there in that Roman prison cell, uh, the church in Philippi has heard that Paul's in prison, prison for preaching the gospel and, and they want to help meet his needs. So they take up money in their church and that, that little ragtag group of church people in, um, the church of, of, of Philippi, and they take Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus and several people, they're not just sending money. They're sending some of their best leaders to Paul in Rome. Like, in other words, they're doing this. It's not just that we're sending money that cost us. We're sending leadership that cost us. Like, think about it. And not for like a short-term trip, like a week or two. Like, we're talking like, listen, we find out about a need, so we sacrificially give money, and then we start sending staff and the mo- the best leaders that we've got in the church, we send like five of them for like two years or a year away. We're sending leaders, we're sending money. It's not just the cheap, I write a check and I'm done with it. Like these people are sacrificing more than just money. They're sacrificing a lot of things a lot of comfort and leadership and influence in their church by sending their leaders to go help meet a need for Paul in prison. And so that's what they've done. And Paul is writing this letter to them. And as as he wraps up this letter to them, is that church is suffering persecution. That church is suffering some fighting in the midst of it. Like it's crazy. They're suffering persecution. They're suffering divisions and they're sending leaders and money away. Just think about that. If we're, if we're suffering persecution, don't we need the money for the people who are getting beaten in the streets? Don't we need the money for the people who are losing their homes and their jobs? Yes, but so does Paul. They're doing both of those things. We got fights happening in the church. Don't we need our best leaders here to help us sort this out? Yes, but so does Paul. So we're not just going to be selfish with our resources. They're not ours. Our resources are Jesus's resources for his kingdom. And this church is sending the things they need to Paul for the advancement of the gospel. I love it, man. I I, I love what I see in this church. So so here's the question that I'm asking. What is it that we learn about generosity and giving from this passage? All right, we're gonna hop back to actually to verse 10. Look at Philippians chapter four, verse 10, because Paul started this. Earlier last week, I just skipped over it for you guys. He said this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. That, that word revived is the same word you say. It's rebloomed again. It's blossoming again. It's like a flower that blooms and then dies and then blooms again. He's saying, I, I'm rejoicing a lot that your concern for me is revived. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He, Here's the first thing that I see that Paul is saying here about their giving. He's saying this. Listen, I don't, when you sent the money and you sent the people to serve me, here's what Paul did not primarily see. He did not primarily see, yes, this is going to make me more comfortable in prison. Yes, this is going to meet my needs. Paul saw past that to something else that he saw happening in the hearts of the Philippians. Mainly he saw love. The, the thing that Paul loved is that their generosity was flowing out of love for him. It was an expression of love. That's why he says, you're concerned. You were concerned for me. You were always concerned for me, but you didn't have an opportunity to express it. And when I got put in prison, that did this awesome thing that it created an opportunity for you to express love and generosity. Listen, church, I, I want us to think about that motivation. Think about love as the motivation for generosity. Now compare that motivation to the motivation of love or guilt. Which one do you like better? Which one would you celebrate? Like like Paul is not celebrating. They were guilted into giving to him. He's celebrating. No, no one guilted you. You, you love me and you wanted to express it. Or, or what about duty and obligation? The church in Philippi is not saying, I guess it's our duty. I mean, he did plant the church here in Philippi. Like he was in prison with us at that one point. Remember that when he was singing? Like, I guess we ought to. No, they, they didn't give sacrificial. They didn't send Epaphroditus and his team and all that money. They did not send that to Paul out of obligation. Listen, they, they sent it out of love. I asked myself the question, If love is the motivation that should be happening for us in giving, why do do we default so often to guilt and obligation? I'm I'm asking, I'm looking this saying, listen, I don't see Paul guilting them or saying it's it's your obligation, even though he could have. At times he said, I'm an apostle. I could have demanded that you support me. He doesn't want to do it that way. Why does he want it out of love? And why do we shift to that? Well, listen, here's a couple reasons why I think we do it. Number one, love does not equal 10%. 10% is easier to measure, right? Like you can give 10% every Sunday for the rest of your life. And you know what the church will do? Nice. You are an A plus member. You know what we don't ask? Did you give that a love? I can't measure love. I can measure 10%. And it's easier for me to look at you and measure you and evaluate you if the standard isn't, do you love? It's easier for me to measure, did you give 10%? I'm going to tell you, the New Testament measurement is not 10%, it's love. It's love. So so I think we shift out of it because we don't need Jesus to give 10%, but we need Jesus to make us give out of love because I need a change, I need him to do a work in my heart that I love the person and the people that I'm giving to. There's more there. Uh, I I think it's also easier to control you with guilt and motivation of obligation than it is to call you to love. Listen, I I can't change your heart. I can't control it. I, I can call for it. I can ask Jesus to do a work in your heart. I can read the scripture. I can point us to it all day long, but I cannot make your heart burn for Jesus. I can't make your heart love the people sitting next to you. I can't make you love the neighbors down the road. I can guilt you into it. I can say it's our duty and I shouldn't say duty. Every time I say duty, I'm like, oops. I've got little kids. I'm saying duty. I think I'm saying poop all day long. I, I mean, go back to obligation. Now y'all gonna laugh every time I say it the rest of the time. Right, right. Like, but if I shift to, um, that I, I can see action a lot quicker out of you. It works. The problem is it's not Jesus' plan. I think his plan for us, his ultimate for us, is that we would give out of love. So let me ask those questions of us. Let me ask, when you give, have you been giving out of love? I'm talking to the people who faithfully give all the time. Listen, I'm grateful that you've learned faithfulness. I'm grateful for that. But there's something higher that I want for you. I want love. I, I want to know, when you're giving, I don't want to know how much. I want to know if there's love in your heart. Do you love? Yeah, that, That's the question. And for those who aren't giving, let me let me ask some, some questions. Is the reason you're not giving because you, you don't love the people next to you? It's hard to be generous because it's not just giving. The goal is generosity, but to be generous out of love, like maybe one of the reasons it's hard for us to give is our relationships are so shallow and weak and superficial. The church is not a shallow, weak, superficial relationship. It's a deep and loving relationships. And sometimes the reason our giving dries up is because our love dried up a long time ago. Do you love? Listen, the call for us is to give out of love. Listen, be honest, church, I would rather us give $10 a week out of overflowing love. I think Jesus would be pleased with this room packed with people who didn't have two pennies to rub together, but they loved. And their offering would be a fraction of what we get right now. But it would be an offering of love, and I think Jesus would be up there going, yes. That's exactly what I'm talking about. But we've lowered this standard that, you know what? If you can give thousands and thousands I don't care if you love, I just care that you give. Listen, Jesus wants generosity that comes out of love. That's what Paul saw in verse 10. He saw love that had an opportunity to express itself. But there's more. Let me, let me go on to what else Paul sees here. Look at verse 14. He says this. We already read it. He said, It was kind of you to share, my, share in my trouble. See what he's saying? You're sharing, in, and that word trouble means tribulation or my suffering. It was kind of you to share in my suffering. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership. That's a deep type of communion with one another. Not a single church Entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. And even in Thessalonica, you did it over and over and over again. Like, here, here's the picture that Paul is, is painting. He says, listen, when they gave, here's what Paul saw. He said, they're, they're partnering with me. They're, they're sharing in my trouble. I, I, I spent some time thinking about that. How is this church sharing in Paul's trouble? He's in a Roman prison cell. How are, how are they sharing in his trouble? Let me, Let me read a passage, and as I read that passage, we're going to flip back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me remind you where the church of Philippi is at. The church of Philippi is located in a region called Macedonia. All right, You need to know that for the verse we're about to read. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And remember, I'm asking the question, how are they sharing in his suffering? It says this in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That would include Philippi. That's just one of them. For in a severe test of affliction. Like it's, listen, it's intense suffering. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty... All right. This is extreme poverty. You think global poverty, they're, they're suffering, but they have tons of joy. They have extreme poverty that's overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and, look at this, beyond their means, of their own accord, Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. See that picture? They're in intense suffering, extreme poverty, tons of joy. They have more joy than they have suffering and poverty, which is a lot. And those people are begging, can I give more? They're not saying, here's my 10%. It says they're not just giving according to their means, They're giving beyond their means. That's crazy love, right? I mean, like I'm looking at that saying, I don't even, how how do we do that? Let me remind you who's in that church. Here's the the story I want you to remember. Paul's in Philippi. He's got, yeah, he's got rich Lydia. All right. But then what, who does he meet after he meets Lydia? He meets a demon possessed slave girl. What happens to that slave girl? He casts a demon out of her and then Paul gets arrested. Let me ask you a question. Think that slave girl gave 10% of her income? Okay, I want you to picture that slave girl. Probably still a slave. and I don't know for a fact. That's the thing. I'm just trying to give you an illustration of what we're talking about in the church. You've got that slave girl, the men who were in prison with Paul when he sang and got saved. You've got ex-cons and this slave girl, and they're begging for the opportunity to send money to people who might be suffering in Jerusalem. You've got that girl scraping together whatever she can as a slave to send to Paul in Rome? Listen, when he says you're sharing in my suffering, it cost them. I'm telling you, that slave girl, if she gave to this, it cost her way more than it cost you and I to give 10%. This wasn't a, hey, can you skip one cup of coffee a week at Starbucks? You're talking about a slave girl. I I don't know what that meant for her. But it probably meant things like hunger. Man, she, for real, like he's sitting there saying, I know you and I know what little you have. And I'm seeing the gift that you send." And all I can say is, man, you are partnering in my suffering and my tribulation. Listen, giving and generosity is not just an act of love. It's an act of partnership Like Paul sees it and he's saying, listen, you didn't just do it in prison. Like I went to the next town over. I went to Thessalonica and you on your own started sending me money to help me preach the gospel to the people in Thessalonica. And you did it after I left your area. I would go to a city in Corinth and Ephesus and you're over and over and over again. You're sending me money so that I can preach the gospel to people. You're a partner with me. You're not just my, my fundraisers. You're my partners in the advancing of the gospel. And Paul's looking at him saying, man, you guys, you guys are partners with me. I, I love this because when I think about that, I'm, I'm asking this question. Um, when people are giving, they're partnering with the people who are doing the work. So when we give to missions, for example, we're not just giving so we feel better about global missions. We write the check, feel better. I can wait till the next time they talk about global missions before that guilt trip comes. And I know that people live on less than $2 a day. I can't handle the guilt. I write the check. I feel better about the guilt now, right? It's not that here's what it is. It's love and a desire to partner with them, right? You see this partner on the field and you're saying, listen, I, man, I, I want to, I don't know how to help, but I'm going to sacrifice them. They're going to move over there. I'm going to help them with what they need to get this done. They're my partners, on the field, like every time we support a missionary, we're partnering with them on the field. So when you send missionaries to North Africa and the Middle East and Central Asia and East Asia, you go through that 1040 window of unreached people groups. Every time we send people over there and send resources over there, we're partnering with them for the advance of the gospel in that area. That makes me excited, right? But it also challenges me. Can I I tell you why it challenges me? Uh, Because then I think about giving to the church, And I think, man, what am I calling you to partner with? You know what churches do when it comes to that? We ask you to give. And the vision for you to give is, can we just keep the lights on? Can can we just have a better sound system? Can we just have nicer carpet? Can we just remodel this whole thing? I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm just saying, man, what kind of partnership is it? No wonder why you don't want to give to that. Do you want to sacrifice your life just for these low level things that are small? I don't I want to call you to partnership that involves actually reaching people with the gospel and advancing it and going into the dark places? Right? That's, let's, let's not lower this standard. The call for me as a pastor is that we better get after doing something that's worth partnering with. So I've got to connect you to partnership here and partnership across the world. Church, it matters because when you do partnership with that, here's what I love that Paul says in verse 17. He says this, because it's that partnership. Why does he care about the partnership? He says this, not that I seek the gift. I'm not looking for more money. This isn't a fundraising scheme. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul's game plan here is this. What what Paul wants is not saying, hey, I want you to all be partners and that's my term for raising more money. Paul's heart for these people saying this. Here's what I want, not more money. I want for you. I want more things that go to your credit, to your your account in heaven. 2 Corinthians, Paul says something in one verse where he says this to them. I seek not what is yours, but you. I don't want your money. I want you. I want good for you. I want eternal things for you. Here's the point. Paul is saying that at some point we will stand before Jesus. And our loving generosity that we've given, we will get rewards in heaven for that. Let me read some passages to you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. It says this. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Don't, don't give for the motivation of being praised by other people, including your pastor. It says, truly I say to you, they've received your reward. If that's what you want. That's what you'll get. Verse three. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Like he's up there looking saying, yeah, yeah, I see that. And yep, reward. Uh, I don't even, I feel guilty even saying that he's, but he's motivating us with reward. So let me do the same thing. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. He says this, he said also to the man who had invited him, this guy didn't invite him to a dinner party. He says this, when you give a dinner or a banquet, Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Let me give an example. When you do a fall festival, don't invite all of Live Oak to it because then they'll come to church and they got huge fat bank accounts. It says this, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Listen, church, Paul is telling these people in Philippi, like when you give, it's not that I want your money. Like what I'm excited about is you just got more rewards from Jesus for eternity. His motivation is that he wanted his people not to give more money just to learn to be generous. He wanted them to have more eternal rewards. Think about that from a pastoral conversation. That my goal for you is not, hey, i got to get you to give. But now I'm sitting here saying, man, how do I help lead these people to engage the mission more and build up more and more and more rewards in eternity? That's my job as a pastor. That's my job as a follower of Christ. Uh, one pastor I like, his name is Alistair Begg. Uh, part of the reason I like him is because he's Scottish. I don't know how many of y'all have heard of Alister Begg. Accent is phenomenal. I wish I could do it but I can't, I won't try to embarrass myself and do a Scottish accent in front of all of you. But he was talking about a thing called IRAs, in individual retirement accounts. And he said this, He, he said, we've been told it enough times to make sure that you have, among other things, an individual retirement account, right, an IRA. And we're asked with frequency, do you have one? How much do you have in it? When did you make your last contribution to it, right? I don't know if you've ever, I mean, people, they have that combo all the time. Then then Alistair Begg asked this question. He said, the question for us is, do you have an IEA? It's much better in Scottish. You need to know this. Um, And by by IEA, he means an individual eternity account. And then he asked the question, do you have one? How much do you have in it? When did you make your last contribution to your IEA, to your basically your treasures in heaven? Church, uh, I, when I see that, I feel convicted about the fact that we've lowered this conversation from a pastoral level to I need you to give more to help the budget instead of, man, I want you to have more rewards in heaven. How can I help you do that? Does that feel different to you in the motivation, the way the church has talked about it? I mean, I feel totally convicted about this. Like I, I, on, on all levels, everything we talk about in giving, I mean, I can't, I can't think of an example in my brain where I'm sitting here saying, what I want for these people as we talk to them about giving to missions or giving to the church or giving to the neighbors is I just want the money to do the project. And I need to go way beyond that. I got to say, okay, listen, I, I want these people to have more rewards in heaven. Not the gift. Seek you. I don't want more. I'm excited about the fruit that goes to your account in heaven. Man, church, I, I love that. Let me just remind you, I love this idea that we're not just giving generously out of love and out of partnership. It's a partnership that produces eternal rewards in heaven. Here's what that means. That means you support that missionary wherever and they're engaging. Say it's the leathers in, uh, in Africa. Listen, all the labor that they're doing, all the suffering that they're doing, we send them money, we send them support, we send them people. The fruit that happens there, we get credit for it too. Does that sound awesome to anyone else? Like, listen, I want some phenomenal missionaries so I can start giving some money. Like, this is going to be sweet. Like, I'm going to get to see Jesus. Like, yeah, I helped with that. This is awesome. Like, I, he wants us to be excited about eternal rewards. It's such a phenomenal perspective from Paul. I don't want the gift. I don't want more money. I want you to stand before Jesus, and it's an amazing experience for you. I want to make it better and better and better. And there's something else that he says. Look at verse 18. He says, I've received my payment in a poll and more. And I'm well supplied. Shocking that he would not say, I got the payment. I got a few more needs. If you could send another check, right? That's normally what you do in fundraising. Uh, so I've got, listen, I've got plenty. Don't send me more money. I, mean, I guess you can if you want, but he says, don't send me more money. He says this, I've got it all. I've received it from paradise, So they know he got it. And look how he describes the gifts that they sent. It's a fragrant offering. It pictures the Old Testament sacrifice. They would take this animal and they would kill it and they'd put it and they'd burn it An old fashioned barbecue. So it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It, it's this picture that as they burn that animal on that altar and that, that smoke and the smell of it goes up and there's God above it taking a deep whiff going, man, that smells good. Right? It, it's that experience you get when you're having a barbecue and you show up to someone's house. And they're, they're killing it on the grill. It's like a professional grill master. And you walk there and you get to that backyard and you smell that brisket or that, I don't need to talk about lunch right now. You smell that phenomenal food, that barbecue. Did I just break something? All right. I don't know what just happened, but I'm going to go louder. Oh, never mind. Okay. Whisper. (laughs) Um, Keep it on your toes. It's a game we play. Uh, the poor sound if we're constantly rocking we're we'll try to quick you up like that it's it's a great plan so it's that, that thing you get when you show up to someone's house and you find out they planned this phenomenal barbecue for you they've been grilling and smoking that stuff for hours and you smell it and immediately there's maybe you don't but I do there's like this smile like oh yeah oh yeah, I like me some barbecue. I I don't know if you can tell. Um, I like it. This is going to be a fantastic experience or that experience when you go to Thanksgiving and you walk into the house and your mom has made turkey and ham and pumpkin pie and it's too close to lunch. I really have to stop doing this. But right, it's that smell of the food and it's a sweet smelling aroma. And the picture he paints is that when you and I give out of generosity and out of love and, and partnership, when we're doing those things, we don't just get eternal reward. It's an act of worship to God. Like God's up there and he, he sees you give and he's like, man, I like that. I like the way it smells. I feel loved when my mom cooks amazing food or my wife cooks amazing food or one of my friends invites me over and has amazing food. I feel loved by the food that they made and God feels loved and worshiped and adored when we take what little feeble things, not he needs it. Remember what it says in the future verses? He's super rich. He doesn't need my money, but I'm giving this worship and he feels loved and adored by it and it makes him smile. And the other thing that's happening when we give out of generosity and love, it's, guys, it's an act of worship to God. So, so, so let me ask, I mean, when you're giving, is it actual worship? And I don't know how to help us get through that, because sometimes it's just so rote and so routine, Sometimes we're we're shifting to, I just got to send that bank account. I got to click it and do it automatic so I don't forget about it, right? And I'm not saying those are bad things, but I've got to find a way to have the discipline for it to actually be worship. It's, it's, It's worship. Church, I want you to give out of love and of worship. I want you to look forward to the rewards that we will get, and we give generously to partners who are advancing the gospel. That's what this is about. And there may be fear in your heart. Paul, Paul hits it with this final thing in verse 19. Like, man, if I give like that, if I give generously, I know it's worship and I know it's love, but I've got this fear in my heart. Can I do that? Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. There's this confidence, this faith that God will actually meet our needs. Turn I, I got to be honest, I do not want to make that promise to you. That's why I'm not making it. He's making it. You look at it. Is that his promise? You see the verse Did he just say, and my God will supply all of your needs. Listen, you, you may doubt that today. Let me remind you of a verse. Romans chapter eight, verse 32, it says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here's the point. If God is going to send his son to die on the cross for you, if he's going to do that, you think he's not going to meet your needs? You think he doesn't care? Now, that doesn't mean he's going to meet your need with a new Lamborghini in your driveway. That's not a need. But he, but he's going to meet your needs. That, how he does that's up to him. It's his job to meet the needs. It's his promise and it's his work. And I'll be used by him, but he's got to do it. But I'm calling us not just to give out of love and out of partnership and out of worship, but to have a step of faith that says, all right, I'm trusting that he will meet my needs and maybe he'll use me to meet someone else's. Church, can we be people like that? I pray we can, that we'd be loving, worshipful, generous givers and partners to the kingdom. Would you pray with me? you bow your head and close your eyes, here's what I want to challenge you to. I want you to be lovingly generous to the needy and to the mission. There's a million ways to do this, but I, I'm praying that God will make us a people who are lovingly generous to the needy and to the mission. I also want to ask, did, did God say anything to you in your heart about being a loveless giver or a worshipless giver Listen if if you've been giving out of duty and obligation and not out of love and not as an act of worship can I call you to repent today of that and just say God I just forgive me and help me to be loving and help me to be a worshipper in my giving Listen, I, I want to call you to partner with gospel missionaries. I, I also want to ask you to pray for the. Will you pray for us as a church that we would do more than just survive? And would you pray that he would help us to actually engage the mission, that the lost are saved, that disciples are made, that believers are equipped. I want us to be a church that you're actually partnering with for rewards in heaven. Would you pray for them to make us that body? And not just here, everywhere. And for some of you here today, man, I, I don't know, this, this talk about, man, I've got to be loving and generous. and You hear all these things and it sounds like just religious mumbo jumbo that that's all you've ever heard before. I I want to tell you why we can say this boldly and we call for things like worship and not just 10%. The Bible says every single person in this room, including myself, man, I am a broken, selfish person. I'm rebellious and I don't want God to tell me what to do. Leave my money alone, leave my time alone, leave me alone, let me do what I want. But God, instead of judging me for my rebellion, he sent Jesus. And Jesus came and he was so generous to us. He gave up all his riches in heaven to come and save us, to live a poor life. Give the riches in heaven for you and me. So what he would do is he would die on a cross and he paid the price for all my selfishness and all my greed and all my rebellion and all my weakness and all my failures. He paid the price for every last drop of it. He gave up his riches for my brokenness. The Bible says he died on the cross for my sins and, and this amazing thing happened. He came back to life. through it. He literally came back from the dead. When we're talking about God here, that's what he does. And here's what he says. If you will just place your trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross and ask him to save you. Listen, he'll forgive you for all your sin. He'll make you a son or daughter. He'll change your heart. He'll, he's changing my heart right now so that I can be more loving and more generous and more worshipful and less selfish. He's doing that work. That's what he promises he'll do. Listen, you've never placed your trust in Jesus. If, maybe you've prayed a prayer or maybe you've been religious, but the question is, if you met a Savior? So if you've never done that, I would just want to encourage you in your seat to repent and ask him to save you. And or come and find one of us pastors after service. We would love, I'm telling you, we would love to talk to you about this. For those of us who are here who have placed our trust in Jesus, I want to remind you: the ability to be loving and worshipful in our generosity, the ability is fueled by the truth that Jesus died on the cross for us and came back to life three days later. If he can bring a man back from the dead, he can make you and I loving and worshipful and generous. That's what he does. So I pray you'd have faith that he can actually change you to be that today. Heavenly Father, God, we we come to you and God, we we confess the mistakes we've made about talking about money in the church. But God, we look to you and God, I pray you would, we would remember how generous you were with your son, Jesus. I'm praying that it would change our hearts so that we'd be loving with one another and people all over the world. God, I'm praying you make us worshipers when it came to giving, that we'd be generous, loving givers who are partnering to see your name proclaimed to the ends of the earth. God, make us those people. And thank you for being patient with us in our love of stuff. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.